0: Hi, friends. I'm Maddie, and I'm an Ed Tech coach, teacher podcaster, online business owner, and above all, I am constantly dreaming up ways to reimagine education. I provide teachers with tips, tricks, and strategies to transform their classrooms into learning hubs that are filled with creativity, innovation, and discovery. I hope to empower all teachers, no matter what subject they teach, to experiment with innovative learning models and lead their classrooms with 21st century skills. So let's learn and grow together as 21st century educators. This is the EdTech Classroom Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EdTech Classroom podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Jane Chadsey and Sarah Noctigal from Educurious. As CEO of Educurious, Jane leads the curriculum and professional learning team and works with school and district leaders to bring learning alive. As director of teaching and learning, Sarah brings together teachers and professionals to design learning experiences that connect students to the world around them. I'm really, really excited for our conversation today. Jane, Sarah, and the entire team at Educurious develop a PBL curriculum, they implement PD, they connect with teachers in schools all over the place. And in case you aren't familiar with Educurious, they create project-based curriculum that energizes students with ideas that matter. Educurious connects students to the world through a global network of experts and mentors, and they bring authentic learning experiences to the classroom. They also build immersive PD, they create learning communities, and they even help schools customize curriculum to meet specific classroom needs. Jane and Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Maddie. It's really exciting to be here. Agreed. Really happy to join you today.
0: Thanks for being here. Um, So I just kind of want to dive right in, if that's okay with you guys. Um, so could you just both talk about your backgrounds? I know I just described a little bit about what Educurious does, but I think both of you have really interesting backgrounds. Um, and so, yeah, could you just talk about your background and what brought you to Educurious?
2: Sure. Um, so, um, Maddie, I love it that you're an elementary teacher. Um, I knew I wanted to be an elementary school teacher from the time I was about five years old (laughs) when I made sure that every child in my neighborhood had to come to my house to check out their books that they would read. So (laughs) one of those longtime educators. Um, So I taught in Seattle public schools for 21 years elementary school and I think what drives me to project based learning was sort of an early interest in wanting to engage kids in, you know, issues, as you said, that matter to them. Um, even as young as first and second grade. So appreciate the work that you do, Maddie. Um, And then um, I was the director of teaching and learning for Seattle Public Schools, and also a school district a little bit south of Seattle, the Renton School District, when a friend of mine came to me and said she had this idea to start this company uh, that then became Educurious. And so really I was driven to having been a part of a central office leadership, a teacher leader, Um, in leadership roles. I was really curious what it would take to be um, sort of an outsider organization that began to come from the outside to really change the experience of teaching and learning for young people. Um, And that's what drove me to Educurious um, as a beginning founding um, participant in the company. Um, And I just lead the most amazing team ever. So um, I'm going to turn it over to Sarah now to say more.
1: Um, Great. Well, I'll also start with my experience in the classroom. Um, I was a high school English teacher and from my very first day, I um, walked into a Bay Area classroom and I was working with um, English language learners from about 12 different countries. I also taught the literacy classes and I was working with the college prep English class. And What I soon realized was that across my students, regardless of what level they were in, Um, Many of them were struggling to see connections between their classes and so what I taught them in English about being good creative writers about backing up ideas with evidence about um, Portraying different perspectives like they weren't really applying those ideas or skills in other classes and it became more and more apparent as I moved from the Bay Area to the Central Valley in California that um, the students who are at the, in the lowest levels of write, their writing and, and reading um, skills were struggling the most to see any connection between their biology class and an, a reading, writing um, skill set. And so that's when I started kind of working with other teachers to develop what was project-based learning, um, but I didn't really have a word or, or a name for the concept yet and when i stepped out of teaching to pursue more graduate work that was one of my burning questions which is why why aren't kids seeing the importance of what they learn throughout their school day and throughout and in into the real world Um, and so when i did my doctorate work in Um, at the University of Washington, I focused on adolescent literacy, but I was doing it within the context of a big research project on project-based learning. And some of my um, doctoral friends were also working on the end stages of the Educurious research project. And so both projects were working in parallel to investigate like what made learning matter to kids? What did deeper learning mean? What what prompted engagement and what got kids to see what that what they were learning actually mattered and was relevant to the to the bigger world around them. And so that's what got me through doctorate school uh, through my doctorate program and then to Educurious. So it's a perfect and natural fit for me to kind of bring those ideas. um, Into the science and the social studies curriculum that we develop now, which are also very interdisciplinary. Um, So it feels like my educational like pathway has really come full circle. In so many ways and what I like best about Educurious is that we're always keeping the students and the teachers in mind, which is what I wanted when I went to graduate school, which was not to lose sight of kids and teachers. Mm
0: That's awesome. Um, I love to hear that both of you have classroom experience. Um, Most of our listeners right now are classroom teachers. um, And I think whenever I look for people to come onto my podcast, I really am looking for people who know not just the education space, but actually have that experience in the classroom. Uh, And I think that really shines through in the work that you guys are doing. And it's neat to hear as well that uh, a lot of what Educurious does is rooted in research-based research-based practices. Um, That's something research is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, So it's it's neat to hear that that's something that you guys are prioritizing as well. Um, so, you know, I, I know that I mentioned in my little introduction, some of the stuff that you guys are doing, I talked about, you know, how you have classroom resources, you have professional development, you know, you have this really cool expert network. Could you just describe for our listeners what different products, what different services you offer and how all of those things are sort of working together to achieve your mission?
2: Sure. Um, yes. So, you know, um, if your listeners can imagine a triangle, and at one point in the triangle are students, Uh, another point are teachers, educators, and the third point is the curriculum, what teachers use, the tools and resources they use every day. And at Educurious, we think we need to address all three of those things simultaneously, Um, because there's a relationship between an obvious one between teachers and their students. We've known that for a long time. It's part of what makes project-based learning so um, incredibly powerful for young people is that it helps to strengthen that relationship we think between the teacher and the students we serve to know them well. Um, But there's also a relationship between students and the curriculum they see every day in their classroom. Do they see themselves? Are those issues they care about? Um, uh, do they see themselves as change, powerful change makers in the world? And then there's a relationship between teachers and the curriculum they use every day. So, so the work we do in the world is always in service of keeping all three of those things in mind simultaneously. So we do straight up professional learning. How do we get good at project-based learning? Um, and, but we always include exemplary curriculum units in that so that we keep that in mind. We always include student voice so that we're, even when we're going into a system or working with a group of teachers around what is project-based learning and designing their own units, we always provide um, something in the way of those other two pieces of the triangle. Um, We also have developed um, sort of wall-to-wall courses, Um, we just finished a brand new 6th, 7th, and 8th grade middle school science curriculum that's project-based learning all the way across. Sarah led that work um, starting with phenomenon and asking questions um, built around those and providing solutions, answering, you know, some of the most pressing problems that are facing the world. And the same with social studies. Um, And we focused in on middle school science and social studies because of the intersections between those, as Sarah said, so that we can embed the literacy work um, so that kids see a reason to be reading and writing. Um, But also those are the two subject areas right now that are going to make all the difference in solving the many problems that the world faces. Um, And ultimately our goal is to make a difference in the world with the young people we serve. Um, so we provide those resources across school systems Um, we are finalists often in a lot of district adoptions and that sort of thing and then finally the third thing is that we develop custom curriculum with partners so one of our partners is National Geographic and we last year just finished somewhere near 30 projects that live in the National Geographic Resource Library that are available to anybody free. That's amazing. Um, that's really yeah, cool. oh my gosh, they are amazing because they, we work directly with the explorers that are out in the field, you know, really working on some of these problems. Again, they're social, they are focused on middle school social studies and science. Um, and that's an example of um, a custom curriculum. But one of the things we love to do most is to work directly with teachers to co-design the curriculum that they'll be using in their classroom every day. So we have a project right now with a group of uh, five school districts in the Seattle Puget Sound region, who are interested in designing a um, Washington State history course that is more connected to the issues that are prevalent today and can tell sort of the history through ensuring that voices that are not often heard are heard in the curriculum and spoken to, Um, such as indigenous peoples in the Pacific Northwest and the Black Lives Matter movement here and so on and so on. So anyway, so those are the three kind of basic ways. We co-design curriculum with partners and teachers. We provide curriculum that's already been made by us and provide the professional learning around that and then we work directly with teachers um, and others to um, help them design their own all the while keeping that triangle in mind and then i'll say one more thing we also work with leadership teams uh, so we're in a project couple of projects in idaho and massachusetts now working with principals and a team of teachers across the states to begin to either work towards stem certification and things like that so the thing that's most fun of all about leading this organization is no day is ever the same
0: I love that. I I am looking to have a career path where no day is ever the same.
2: Um, well imagine as an elementary school teacher that's true. That is too.
0: that is certainly oh. true, especially right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's for sure. Yep. Yeah. Um but I, I you know, you touched on so many really amazing things that you guys are doing. Uh You know, I want to talk about the interdisciplinary nature of your curriculum, um, all of that. But one thing that really stands out to me about the work that you all are doing, uh, and really this might be one of the main reasons why I I was interested in having you on the show today, is this idea of customizing curriculum to meet specific school and student needs. Um, You know, as a teacher myself, and I think other teachers who are listening can probably relate Something that's really difficult and honestly bothersome for me about professional development is that sometimes I walk away and I'm like, okay, great, that sounds great in theory, but that doesn't work for me in my classroom with my students. And I'm really interested in this idea of you, you all are actually customizing professional development and customizing curriculum to actually meet the needs of specific classrooms. And I think at least in my research on what you guys are doing, that's something that really sets you apart from other people in the PBL space is that you're actually actively listening to needs of classrooms. Um, So I did want to point out that that's something that I, um, I am really interested in, could you talk a little bit more about, you know, you have these awesome courses, you have this awesome PD, could you talk a little bit about how you actually develop that, Uh, you know, is there, what type of research, what type of work goes into actually creating these wonderful
1: resources? i um, sure um, so the, it depends on um, what kind of curriculum you want to talk about so if you wanted to think about uh, maybe our middle middle school science or social studies curriculum um, what we do there is we think about the scope and sequence first and we think about like how would the units like fit best together you know throughout throughout a school year and that's certainly what we did with the Washington State curriculum as well with the teachers who are going to be teaching it um, so that process is either with or without the partner um, and then once we get into a unit Um, My favorite, favorite phase, hands down, is the ideation phase where we are like really just digging in deep and kind of wallowing around to figure out like what is the the sweet spot? What is the juicy way to like get kids interested in this? Of all the ways we could enter this unit, what is the best problem that kids are going to be the most interested in solving? There's never just one. Um, It's a really big sorting and sifting process. We we think about the resources available. We think about the product. The final product should always be, you know, a really key driver of a project-based unit. And so, like, if we follow this question, will it lead to a really great product? Uh, that will be um, able to, have, every student group will be able to take a different stance or perspective on that product. Um, can we get to a really good showcasing of the skills and then the content knowledge that they've learned? So all of those go um, in, into kind of a balancing act, and we um, finally identify the right pathway through the unit. Sometimes we start writing and drafting and we go back and scrunch, scrunch up that paper and start again. Um, and sometimes we have a, a unit that goes out and teachers teach it and say, you know, what would really be better with that product if, now that I'm doing remote teaching is to do it like this. So sometimes those ideas get back to when we work with partners who give us um, feedback and we're um, uh, you know refining units for particular people and contexts. So all of those are really good feedback mechanisms that help get our units to a really good spot. Um, and then once we have um, that then we break it down into what we call modules so each module kind of deals with a portion of the learning um, and we think about how the product's going to get like built you know as students learn um, and then we think about building and all the resources and the supports for teachers um, along the way so that's really kind of a, a, the big high-level view of what our development process is and, and it takes some time <laughs> um, it takes time and it takes lots of people giving their input and thinking things through and um,
0: that's awesome. It sounds like it's such a thoughtful um, design process. Um, ideation, hearing you talk about that, that's something that I my listeners hear me you know talk about and get so excited about. Um, it's something that I uh, really try and help my students wrestle with through you know engineering design process, design thinking. I actually used to work at um, in a previous life, I used to work at the Stanford D School. So ideation was obviously a really big uh, part of my life when I worked there. Um, so it's neat to hear that something that's something that you guys are focusing on because i think when it comes to developing curriculum ideation is such an important part of the feedback process figuring out how you can you know make changes to your curriculum but then also teaching students how they can ideate and come up with um you know thoughtful and meaningful solutions um so I, i really enjoy hearing that uh that part particularly Um, so I, I noticed speaking of ideation, you know, that's a core, a core element of the design thinking process. And also I'm sure you guys, you know, obviously lean on the project-based learning, um, structure. And I noticed on your website that you have... Um, your own sort of structure. Now, in a lot of ways, it does have some similarities to um, the project based learning structure that I use in my classroom. Uh, my, my listeners have heard me talk about the PBL works model a little bit. Um, so, could you talk about this awesome structure that you have? You know, I think it's like launch to learn, investigate, illuminate, um, et cetera. Could you talk a little bit about that uh, and sort of the thought process behind what went into the creation of this model?
1: Sure. Um, so we actually designed a, what we call a PBL framework to guide, to guide us, right? Because as you say, there's a lot of different approaches to PBL out there, and they all strive towards some really important goals. So we share that with everyone doing PBL. But when we think about um, what are the key components of our Units and what the experience should be like for students and teachers, and what the curricular components should should always provide and kind of be relied upon. Um, We we designed our framework to represent that, and in um, what you see on the website actually kind of uh, breaks one of our sections down into two parts. So I'll I'll try to like bring those together. Um, We think that the launch of a unit is really really important. Um, The launch is where teachers get to kind of invite students into a problem space. Um, put up something that gets them immediately engaged with trying to solve um, a a problem of the unit by engaging with some of the ideas and the the content right away. Um, It's not a flood, it's a a really nice entry point. It's well designed. We spend as much time designing the launch lesson as we do like thinking about the final product. Mm -hmm. So we try really hard to get that right and to get kids in the right learning space. But the launch is ultimately one lesson out of a lot of lessons in the unit. And so the next part that comes, once kids are engaged and interested and their interest has been piqued, um, we get them into the project work. So they've been introduced to the project challenge, which is either a problem to be solved, um, an issue that needs a solution, um, an audience that needs to be addressed or educated or informed. Um, there is something that they're working towards. And throughout the project work, that is when students, um, as you said, you know kind of begin to really dig in. they investigate, um, they get you know um, knowledgeable about what kinds of approaches and perspectives and solutions might be out there. They understand the problem deeply. And during this project work phase, which is the biggest part of a project, we expect learning to cycle, right? We expect students to get a little bit of information, work with a group, build something out, apply it, and then develop more questions that will guide further learning where they get to go a little bit deeper and apply it again. And as they're working through the project um, that we are building in opportunities for that reflection, for that self-assessment, for formative assessment for teachers, we're uh, developing the project. Um, And so all of this is moving them toward the final product. And that's really the third phase when students are creating and pulling all those threads together and presenting to an authentic audience or presenting an authentic product um, to answer a real problem. And so the, the final product we think of as needing to be rigorous Um, It can't just be a poster on the wall. You know, it really needs to showcase and get kids talking about and defending their ideas, um, using evidence, um, going back to think about how much they've learned through the course of the unit, um, and really engaging on a much higher level than you would with, um, you know, at the end of a unit in a textbook. Um, So those are the three phases that we see them, um, the launch, the project work, and the final product, and they all come together in in PBL.
2: Let me just add a couple of things, Um, thinking back to the triangle that we talked about at the beginning. um, Our framework also um, really highlights the role that each one of those three pieces of the triangle plays. So if you can imagine a grid and um, You know the components that Sarah talked about of the the project launch the project work and the culminating presentation um, on the other side of that on the rows are the three different um, Sort of stakeholders or can you know pieces to hold in mind. So, um, for example, what does it mean for a student to have a strong launch? What is a student doing during the project work? Hmm. What should, how does the how does the final product relate directly to students and their work? And then, what does that mean for the teacher? Is another row. And then the third row is the curriculum. If you're designing curriculum, if you're designing projects, how do you have, need to think about the launch? The, so it's a grid because those three different key points of that triangle are also addressed in our framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, behind all of that is, um, you know, Sarah's doctoral work and the rest of the team at Educurious and we got our start at the Life Center at the University of Washington, which is where John Bransford's work is housed how people learn and learning sciences so we also have a set of design principles from learning sciences that are always sort of embedded behind the scenes it's like the back end support that is embedded in all of that so there's a set of design principles on sort of the back end and then it ends up with a very simple framework that has three parts and then three roles
0: that's neat i really like that you have um a a framework that's really Easy for teachers to follow. Um, I think it can be, you know, when there are all these different frameworks and things that you're trying to follow, it can be difficult as a teacher who's new to PBL to understand what you're supposed to be doing. But I think the way that you both just sort of outlined this framework um, for me as a teacher feels really easy to follow. Uh, I'm particularly interested though in this idea of these stakeholders and thinking about how um, each each sort of stage of the PBL process impacts different stakeholders. Um, in my own experience, um, you know, coaching teachers doing PBL, implementing PBL myself, um, something I've noticed is that there's a, you know, this is honestly becoming cliche when talking about PBL, but there's a big difference between, you know, doing projects and doing PBL. And when I think about doing projects, uh, I think of that being something that's very teacher focused versus PBL being something that's very student centered. Uh, and, And, you know, in, I think I think you know when you think about the final product of a project, for example, that can often be something that is teacher-focused, where the teacher is really looking for something that um, something specific, some sort of specific outcome from students. But in have sort of thinking about the stakeholders and all three level, all three stages of your process here, I think that really allows for um, for these units to actually be much more student-centered. But while still also keeping in mind um, teacher needs. So that's just something that um, sort of immediately came to mind for me. But speaking of speaking of stakeholders, um, your organization also have stakeholders, right? So we're talking about stakeholders in terms of these projects. So students, teachers, etc. cetera. Um, but, you know, I know that as an organization, you guys also have stakeholders in the sense of you partnering with schools, partnering with districts. Um, so could you talk about that partnership? A little bit, um, how you guys sort of uh, come into contact with uh, co- come into contact with schools uh, and and teachers.
2: Yeah, thank you, Maddie. Um, so you know, f- for the most part, um, we tend to gather our partners um, often through word of mouth. People tell each other about our work, and as you said, I think one of the things that where we stand out is the customization and the high touch <clears throat> that we provide. Um, We also respond to RFPs that are posted and things like that, Um, but what we um, always do is start by having a conversation with a potential new partner. Um, And one of the first things we do is to ask everybody to tell their story Um, because as people tell their stories to one another, you find amazing connections. And once we find the connections across the work that we do then we can sort of zero in on what is the problem that they're trying to solve and how can we help them do that so um, for the most part we listen a lot to what our partners are trying to accomplish so it might be that they're trying to flip their school from a more traditional model to a stem pbl school or it might be the school system is trying to work on Um, a reframing of the way in which social studies is taught. Um, And so once we hear what they're trying to work on, then we come back together and say, well, how about if we do this? And it has these three parts. And then they say a little bit more of this, a little bit less of this. And so everything we do is customized to the people we work with because our job is to help them solve the problems they're trying to solve. And that can take very different approaches depending on the goal and, you know, the length of the project and, and so on. So um, I think, you know, what where we start out is be, be it by being connected to people that have sort of like-minded perspectives and are on some sort of path that we can help them with. And as I said, it can take any kind of role from just working primarily on the professional development with teachers and leaders, um, couldn't be around the customization of things. So, uh, you know, the for, our first job is to listen to the problems that our partners are trying to solve.
0: That's neat because that's also something that your curriculum asks students to do, too, is to listen that's to like, problems yeah. and solve them. So it's kind yeah, of a, they, a meta thought. <laughs> our, we try to walk our talk. <laughs> um, but, you know, this customization process that you're talking about, I think that that, like I said at the beginning of this episode, is something that I'm really interested in. And so when you work with a school, for example, to customize curriculum, to help them sort of implement one of your courses, for example, um, w- once you sort of give them all those materials, is it like, all right, here you go, you're off, you can go do this? Or is it more of a sort of hand-holding process? What is process? What does that actually look like?
1: One of the key things that I think sets us um, apart to some degree is that we really believe in um, that teachers are professionals who can adapt. Um, curriculum to meet their needs. And so when we approach teacher learning, we really start off understanding that everybody needs a really good model to work with. They need really strong materials and supports and that, that you learn by having good models, right? So we like to think of our units as really good training wheel Bikes, you know, they've got all the parts, they're fresh, they work, everything fits together. And as you get used to PBL and you, beg- and you develop the skills for, for kind of doing it and imagining it, we want teachers to get to a point where they're not just adopting, but they're beginning to adapt. And what keeps um, curriculum fresh for both teachers and students is when it is connected locally and um, we need teachers to do that work. We can't be in every classroom context in every district ever. And so teachers know their students and their schools, the best they need to be the ones who um, Dial it in and fine tune any unit to meet their students needs. Um, and then. So in addition to that, they can also say this project went so well this year, but next year. I've got kids really excited already to come in and do this unit, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit because I want to keep that challenge a little fresh, or I want to respond to issues that are coming up in the news, or to an issue that's in our community, and I want to like continue to refine and adapt and keep this unit living, you know, rather than a static, you know, a static unit that never changes. Um, and so we really think of teachers as our partners in this process. We are not just designing a textbook to like land on the shelf and to be there forevermore. We want teachers to really begin to believe in themselves as being, you know, the, the facilitators of really meaningful curriculum. And if they don't know, their, and, if you, and if we don't know your students in your classrooms, then we're, we need teachers to do that work. So we want to make sure that teachers really understand the way we think about and design curriculum so that they can make really good positive adaptations um, rather than kind of dialing it back toward a more, you know, traditional approach or taking out um, the voice and choice opportunities for students in order to just kind of get to the finish line. Um, We see teachers making amazing adaptations in in the remote learning that's happening right now to keep the product and the engagement and the big ideas really alive while adapting on so many levels to make it still work. right? And so that's what we really need is we need teachers uh, to join us kind of in the learning process and so that it becomes their own thing Mm -hmm. at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. Let me just add um, one also kind of structural piece is um, our our usual approach is to work with a group of teachers for at least a year. So we also understand that just like, you know, in our background in learning sciences says that expertise is built over time. And every time we learn something new and we apply it in a new context, the learning goes deeper. Um, And so we tend to have more long-term relationships with the partners we work with. Mm Um, often starting with some kind of summer experience and then ongoing work during the course of the school year. Um, And one of the ways that that has been really important this year is as we learn from teachers and with teachers nestling into their PLC times as they're trying to make adaptations to the projects they're working on um, to say, oh my gosh, this project is way too complicated for a remote setting when kids are working independently so much of the time. How do we think about bringing kids together in groups, um, group work? So um, we tend to have sort of long-term relationships. We do summer institutes, but it's almost always true that we have more long-term ongoing relationships over time as learning deepens and is applied in many different ways
0: yeah thank you jane for sharing and sarah as well when when sarah was talking something that popped up in my brain which then jane actually answered um is i'd imagine you know this is not a business podcast this is an education podcast but from a business perspective you probably are looking to have long-term relationships with schools and so there probably is a, a balance that you're trying to strike between you know wanting to wanting teachers and schools to be able to implement this stuff on their, on their own in the long term, but also an element of you want to continue to have a relationship with schools so that you can continue to exist as an organization. But, um, it sounds like you guys are really striking that perfect balance here between, uh, you know, teachers need flexibility in curriculum. There's such rigid standards, so much, so many things that teachers have to do in their classrooms every day. Um, so I like hearing that you have flexibility in your curriculum. And I love this idea of, training wheels for teachers too where you know they can they can try something but they have the support that they need in order to actually be able to implement it successfully in their classrooms i think uh something that i hear from teachers a lot and something i've experienced myself is that pbl can be a little bit daunting the open-endedness of it can be stressful for teachers and so it can be something that, you know, you're not necessarily willing to dive into unless I guess that's your personality type or something. Um, but but I like this idea of training wheels because it does really allow teachers to become, um, you know, facilitators of curriculum rather than, you know, teachers teaching at the front of the classroom. Um, so thank you both for for your thoughts on that. Um, I, I want to be conscious of time here. Um, and so I just have a couple, couple questions left. Um, this one is for Jane specifically, but, um, Sarah, if you have an answer, of course, you're welcome to chime, chime in. Um, Jane, I saw in your bio that you say that you're working to bring learning alive, uh, I love this phrasing. I might have to steal it from you. Um, could you talk about in what ways you feel like Educurious is able to make learning come alive?
2: Yeah. Um, thanks, Maddie. Um, you know, I think the short answer to that is in the essence of what high quality project based learning actually is. Um, I think as Sarah described the process of sort of bringing together what are the, you know, what are the standards we need to address and, you know, what are the big ideas. I think one of the big questions that we always ask is, what would ki- what do kids care about? Um, so um, if we might come up with a really awesome idea and then we say to ourselves why would kids care about this and that's the part that gets le- keeps learning alive um, is if we can catch the passion the interests the identities the funds of knowledge kids come to school with then learning becomes more lively even in the sense of Um, that Sarah talked about, about the context that teachers bring to the curriculum. So as we might develop something that is a good model, if it doesn't grab the interests and doesn't speak to the identities and the funds of knowledge kids bring to school, um, or connect with their neighborhoods and connect with their communities, then it's not bringing learning alive. Mm. Might be a good idea that a grown-up thinks is really cool, but it's not something that lights up young people. So I think just the essence of really high quality project-based learning that takes on the questions that kids are interested in and where they can understand they make a difference keeps learning alive.
0: Absolutely, I love that. I think leaning into student interests is something that is um, so important. It's a really great hook to get them in uh, and get them to fall in love with learning too. I think in a lot of ways, that's what PBL is all about. It's helping kids learn how to love to learn. Um, and of course, a bunch of other things as well, but, um, yeah, you know, we've talked a little bit about, um, the impact that you guys have on schools on districts. Um, how do you actually measure this impact? How do you measure the success that Educurious has on schools, on districts, on
2: students? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, sometimes, um, we have external evaluators that come in and evaluate our work. Um, but I think, um, i'm gonna ask sarah to speak to more of the idea of um co-designing work with teachers um you know talking to kids about what they're how they're experiencing thing things and maybe sarah if you can talk a little bit about how we think about whether or not the learning experience has been um meaningful and has brings results for young people
1: you know um several of our when we work with partners. Um, it can often provide opportunities to track that. Um, so when we have worked with organizations like the Port of Seattle, like we're able to, or with, with Boeing, like we're able to track a certain set of, of students and teachers working through particular units at a time, and we can look at the impact that it has on students. We don't usually do longitudinal longitudinal like academic growth over time because that's not really our we don't have access to students' data like that. Um, but what we try to measure is, um, how how did teachers come into the unit feeling about PBL? Mm-hmm. What was their level of understanding, their ability to think about um, STEM topics on a, in a PBL way, their ability to like have confidence in getting students to work together collaboratively to solve um, problems for them to see their students to see themselves in those kinds of careers, um, and for the students to think about like how how often do they think about the impact of what they're learning in the real world um, and to see connections between what they're learning and careers and issues and ways to be active citizens in the world. So we tend to look for measures like that. Um, those are measures of kind of efficacy, of confidence, of feeling as though you've learned something that mattered. Um, and we see a lot of evidence in that. When we look at the um, feedback from students, they often will say, um, you know, one comment that stands out to me still is like, I didn't know that people really did jobs like this. Or this is the first time I've ever had to do something in in, in school that was actually someone's real job. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and and so I feel like those kinds of, that kind of feedback really um, Lights us up as that. What we're doing is working. Um, We also will have teachers say there wasn't enough time, you know. And so, like, we we understand that there are there are things that are really um, important to not just dropping in and like presenting one unit and looking at this one little snapshot. Um, So when we work with partners who are doing this across their school uh, system, it's much. It's great actually to be able to have a school that tracks that kind of data. We can look at like attendance and um, test taking um, and um, much larger sets of data, you know, that inform us. But because we tend to deliver a curriculum to districts, they, you know, we have to ask for that. Um, and so we tend to like those moments where we can kind of like burrow into a project where a partner is asking, you know, all participants to gather the data up and package it. But that's not, you know, so we kinda have a, a mixed um a, what what should we what should we call it, Jane? We have like um we have peak Welcome holes and like just
2: principles. Multiple means of expression and multiple, uh, which is one of our design principles. Exactly. Uh, you know, I think one of the other things that is really great about the, um, Sarah and her team, I was just thinking about a conversation we had last week about assessment. Um, and we were talking about whether or not a good way to measure student um, achievement and student growth is to have a pretest and a post-test of a unit. And what we ultimately decided is that if the goal is engagement first. Starting a unit with a pretest where kids demonstrate what they don't yet know is not necessarily an engaging hook. Um, and so, what is the role of understanding what a young person learns in the course of a project? And then, how do we measure growth over time? And so, sometimes doing things like at the beginning of a project, um, often as a part of the launch, we create a know and need to know. Just chart and this is not uncommon to project-based learning everybody does it but what we can pay attention to is what do kids come in knowing and how can we watch their growth over time to see how that information begins to change so some of the measures we use are formal ones like a post-test of a unit or um looking at um, attendance and you know tardies and you know our if kids are engaged they're going to come to class on time they're going to complete the work. So there's all that kind of stuff. But there are also really um, interesting measures that we can look at student learning in the midst of a particular unit. One of our colleagues, Dr. Elaine Klein, worked on a project called STEM tools um, that came out of the University of Washington. And there, there are such incredible opportunities to measure student growth, like within the day-to-day work that kids are Um, are doing. So we look at sort of macro systems growth um, and then way into the micro about individual students. Just one more example is um, we were just on a call with a school district partner of ours who are implementing both our middle school social studies and science and we they said we're really concerned about a group of our kids um, and this is happening all over the place who are not showing up um, related to remote learning like they're missing an action and, um, and then they fail the course as we're beginning now, you know, in the first round last March, people weren't necessarily grading or failing kids, but now they are. And so to look at that and say, and so together we problem solve. Well, let's find out who are the kids exactly. Um, are, is this true in their other subject areas or is it just this one? How do we sort of dive deeper into the ways in which teachers are working with young people and kids are responding and so sometimes it's you know a partner relationship to try and uncover what are the real questions we need to answer and who are the real kids that it's affecting Mm
0: -hmm. yeah thank you both for your thoughts on this because um you know i think assessment is something that teachers struggle with with pbl um you know there's there are these i think i think you both talked about things that you can measure that a lot of schools and districts, you know, require things like attendance, um, metrics like that. But I think you also both touched upon some of these metrics that are harder to measure, but more meaningful in terms of student growth. Um, so just, I'm really happy to hear that these are things that you guys are wrestling with. Um, you both are experts in this space, obviously. Uh, but it, I think I think you're thinking it's very clear that this is an organization that was created by educators because you guys are wrestling with the very things that teachers are also wrestling with in their classrooms. Um, But I think I think. Yeah, go ahead.
1: I was just going to add too that. I think one of the most exciting directions that we've um, been going down, getting involved in lately is um, three dimensional assessment. Uh, so, when we first wrote our units, we kind of just wrote them and you know we didn 't actually pay too much mind to we had assessments, but we hadn 't really aligned them yet, and it was developing awareness of what it meant for ngSS science to be um, assessed in a three dimensional way mm-hmm. um, and so last year or the year before, when California finally came out with a, an example, a model of what three dimensional assessment would look like, we kind of jumped into that uh, with both feet, and we 've been um, because we think that project-based learning is one of the best ways to accomplish the NGSS goals. In fact, that's what that's what the um, NGSS calls for is for kids to engage in science in the way that a project-based learning unit can do. And so we've um, been developing those assessments in in uh, cooperation with a consultant who's really, really well versed in this and also like really reflecting on what we bring to it as well. And those assessments have been really driving a lot of our thinking about how we can um, measure students' learning in, in a scenario-based assessment. And so we're really proud of the work that we've done to um, give teachers two pathways um, to assess students in project-based learning. We've always had a final product, you know, and we always think it should be rigorous and standards aligned and the project rubric is, you know, really connected to the standards that were at the outset, you know, drivers of the, of the curriculum and the unit. Um, but we now have this second parallel pathway, which is these uh, scenario-based assessments, which really connect to the evidence statements and really connect to the standards and really try to, on paper, show every student's grasp of the core content. Um, and whether they can apply those skills and that kind of way of thinking to the content. Um, So we're really, I just don't wanna miss the opportunity to let your listeners know that we're really excited about that aspect too. Yeah. yeah. Project-based learning should not mean only kind of assessing student knowledge.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely, thank you, thank you for for, um, sharing that as well. Um, I'll be sure to have, just in case listeners aren't super familiar with the NGSS uh, 3D assessment stuff, I'll be sure to have that actually linked in the episode description so people can check it out later. Um, But yeah, thank you, thank you for for adding that as well, because I do think, I think you just addressed um, sort of a criticism of PBL that I was kind of getting at is this lack of, of you know real assessment yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um so thank you one of my my, one of my last questions that i have is something that we've kind of touched upon a little bit throughout this entire conversation um but this is specifically a question that i put together um for you sarah but jane you can also of course chime in um you know authenticity is a very core pillar of pbl it's something that you've talked about you know you have this expert network that you rely on um how do you continue to bring authentic and fresh learning experiences to students you know as the world changes rapidly
1: well it's a really good question and we, we talked a little bit already about the ideation process um, and so whenever we're at the beginning of a unit we have to really think about how we're going to connect um, in an authentic way with the content and we think about Authenticity is really having kind of three facets, if you will. There can be an authentic problem, a problem that you know students can be compelled or have kind of a deep-seated desire to help solve. You can have an authentic product. Um, So, you know, developing something like a mitigation plan is, you know, what the real work of many scientists is to do. If you're going to, you know, manage earthquakes, you're going to create a mitigation plan. If you're going to, you know, prevent sinkholes, you're going to create a mitigation plan. And so what goes into a mitigation plan or, you know, another kind of very authentic uh, disciplinary product. In social studies, it might be Uh, A museum exhibit or a podcast like we're doing right now, you know, so what are those interdisciplinary products that are very authentic. So building that skill set is often something that You know, is really is can be interesting to students, particularly when it has like ed tech components like can you create a video or a podcast and they're learning a set of skills as well. Um, The other aspect of authenticity is really an authentic audience. Um, So who in your community are you going to bring in that will really make you you know, sit up a little straighter and taller when there are real environmental um, scientists in the room and you're speaking to them? You know, So um, any of those aspects of authenticity can be tapped on in a project, but you usually can't have all of them at maximum power. You have to kind of hit a sweet spot. And so like one, for example, one of our units is called Fossil Detectives and it's a very classic middle school science. Inquiry into fossils and you need to learn about soils and soil levels and fossils and what makes that feel authentic to kids You know, so what we decided was that One of the um, real issues that has come to light in newspaper articles and books and you know online media um, Is the idea of faked Fossils that are going to auction and it's you know kind of like it's a big scandal is what it is is. and it's all So
0: cool that kids are learning about this, but go ahead
1: And so, um, you know, we decided to have the unit take the angle that students are going to learn about fossils in order to determine whether their fossil file is real or authentic or fake. Um, and, you know, this kind of nests nicely with, you know, a lot of, you know, ideas in science that you need to have some evidence to back up, like why you think it's fake or why you think it's real. Um, and so it just brings a lot of energy to a unit that otherwise could be taught without, without much authentic engagement in students' lives. So we had to look for what is the authentic part of fossils to most kids. Yes, dinosaurs are interesting, but middle schoolers have a little past that, right? So what are we gonna to do to make it a little bit more authentic to them? And so putting them into sort of that, um, it's almost a you know, reality show kind of you know, space where you are tasked with a particular file and you have to determine whether it's real or not. Um, and so like we think about different ways to get kids to connect with all different kinds of topics. And it really varies every topic we take very, very seriously <laughs> to think about like what's the best way to connect with that particular one.
0: Wow, that is so cool. I wanna go back to school and I wanna take Educurious (laughs) curriculum because this just sounds like truly so cool. I listeners, if you are as jazzed up about this specific unit as I am, I'd really recommend you check out the Educurious website because they have examples of some of the types of courses and projects that uh, teachers can do with their students. So I'll be sure again to have that linked in the episode description. but it's just really neat to hear you guys specifically talk about talk about some of these projects. Um, and authenticity, I think, is something that, you know, I've talked about on my podcast in a recent episode because I think it's something that teachers are wrestling with right now in this, uh, you know, distance learning slash hybrid, wherever in the world you are, learning is different right now. Um, and authenticity can feel difficult to bring to the table when you're teaching from a computer screen. Um, so I'm, I'm, thank you for addressing, thank you for addressing, um, authenticity. Well, I, I wish we could keep chatting for hours. I know that I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for the rest of my day, probably tomorrow too. Um, but before we close off, uh, one last question, if listeners are as excited about all of this as I am, how can they find you? Where can they, you know, check out, where can they learn more about you? The things that you, Sorry. How can listeners find out more
2: about you? How can they learn more about EduCurious? Yeah, so um, I think the best, easiest way is just to go to EduCurious.org. And uh, there's a spot there to ask questions and be in touch. Um, and uh, happy to share our email addresses um, with you, Maddie. Uh, to reach out to either Sarah or myself. Um, but that's really probably the best way to do it is to go to educurious.org and we are always happy to have new visitors and we'll reach out back to you.
0: Perfect. Thank you both so much for joining me on the show today. As you can tell, I'm really happy about this conversation. I feel like I learned so much from both of you. The work that you're doing is really incredible and I know that you are going to continue to uh, change education for the better. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Maddie. It was such a pleasure to be here with you. I really enjoyed talking (laughs) with you as well, Maddie. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the EdTech Classroom podcast. I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Jane and Sarah from Educurious. If you liked this episode as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to my podcast, give me a five-star rating, write a review. It helps new podcasters like me so much. And I'll see you back here soon. Bye, friends.